The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm the also, also the author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, uh, is in partnership with uh, Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying and What is Chen Selling, and Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks. And we do have a special introductory offer that we tell you about almost every week. Call Claudio Bossi in New York at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, or you can go to miningstocks.com and sign up directly for those special introductory offers, each one separately, I might add. And we uh, would also like to remind you to go to jtaylormedia.com because that's where you can most easily access this show all three newsletters and everything else that yours truly is doing uh, in the investment arena. Well, we want to thank our sponsors uh, for making this show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, they are American Manganese, Atocha Resources, Millrock Resources, Palangio Exploration, American Bonanza, Brazil Resources, Helio Resources, Merrick's Gold, Metanor Resources, and Paramount Gold and Silver Corp. And we also want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the, on the Voice America Business Channel. Uh, and uh, we thank each of you and wish all of you a happy new year as this new year, brand new year, gets underway. Well, from many years of investing in the mine exploration industry, I have seen many companies that have had their stocks raise, uh, you know, really take off, uh, become what we call 10 baggers or more in many cases. But for every stock that registers a tenfold gain, there's probably ten that lose money longer term. How can investors narrow the field down from the thousands of mini-cap companies, uh, narrow the field down to a much smaller universe of those that have the highest potential for success? Our main guest this week may have some answers uh, to that question. He is uh, Dr. Michael Berry, and he has devised a very interesting tool um, which really, which he calls uh, discovery investing, and we'll ask Dr. Barry, uh, he, who was a former professor of economics, to explain how that tool works and 
how uh, you might be able to use it as an investor. In addition, uh, Dr. Berry will have some very important thoughts about the economy, where we go from here, and how you can best navigate what figures to be some very troublesome waters in 2012 and beyond. Well, in just a moment, I'm going to ask Chen Lin for his views on the markets and as we enter this new year, and also uh, see if I can get him to tell us uh, what a couple of his top picks are uh, in, the, um, uh, in the market as we start this new year. Uh, in, a second, in the second hour of today's show, after we finish with Dr. Barry, Ron Paul's chief of staff, Jeff Deist, will be with me. Uh, Jeff, again, uh, it will be joining me once again, and this time uh, we're going to ask him to comment on his boss's speech known as the what-if speech that he gave on the floor of the House of Representatives recently. I also hope to talk to Jeff about allegations that the Fed is in the process of bailing out Europe secretly while denying doing so uh, to the Congress. And we're going to have, if, uh, if we're able to, have a clip from Gerald O'Donnell. He's a former vice president at the Dallas Fed uh, and also a, a member of the, I believe it's the Cato Institute or one of those organizations. He's going to be, um, if we're able to, and I think we're going to be able to have that clip for you, a very interesting, um, very interesting comments by Mr. Bernanke denying that the Fed is bailing out Europe, but in fact uh, this former Fed Reserve uh, Vice President, uh, Dallas Fed, is saying that that's exactly what he's doing. Uh, so we'll get Jeff Dice's uh, reaction to that as well. In any event... I believe uh, whatever happens this year that the real price of gold will remain strong and very likely become stronger, meaning that uh, profit margins for gold producers should remain very, very strong. And to the extent I have time, I hope in the very final section of today's, uh, today's uh, program to talk a little bit more in detail about some of my own views for 2012 uh, uh, going forward, and uh, what I think, uh, where I think people should put their money, where they should be cautious, and where they might take a little more risk. In any event, I always like to get the ideas of people that are uh, that have different ideas than myself. I think it's always important to keep an open mind and to look to uh, people who think differently. And my good friend Chen Lin is with me. Chen and I don't agree on many things. We're we're really good friends, but. I, I think um, I certainly enjoy having Chen here because he provides a check against my uh, against my views sometimes, and and more often than not, Chen turns out to be right. Welcome, Chen. Thank you, Jay. Happy New Year to you and your family. Yeah, thank you. Now, Chen, um, you, how, what are you, how are you seeing the equity markets as we start this new year? Are you bullish, bearish, neutral, what? Well, um, I would say I'm cautiously optimistic. Put it this way. Uh, so basically, we have a very rough year, uh, 2011. You know, yes. it's almost as bad as 2008. Mm-hmm. I mean, the stock was down very, very significantly. Mm-hmm. But however, you know, we already down to this point. You know, versus the commodity itself, the commodity stocks are extremely cheap. Not just cheap, extremely cheap. They are back to 2008, 2009 level, mm-hmm. including gold. Gold stocks, gold mining stocks, including energy, oil, you know, mm-hmm. exploration stocks. Mm-hmm. So they're so cheap, so that makes me feel so very hopeful we'll have a good year here. Mm-hmm. Well, we could use one after last year, no doubt about it. I think in talking to you uh, offline, uh, you know, maybe last week or sometime as we neared the end of last year, you suggested that you were really quite bullish on oil, that you were, uh, during the first six months of this year, the first half of this year, you might be inclined to weight your portfolio more towards oil and less towards gold. Did I hear you correctly on that? 
Oh, well, I wouldn't say we're less towards gold. I would. I, my plan was to overweight energy, but I'm mm-hmm. holding my gold position because gold stock are so cheap; they, mm-hmm. they're too cheap to sell. So I, I have no intention to reduce them. Mm-hmm. But I'm overweighting uh, energy stock uh, for a couple of reasons uh, because energy stock already down to 2008, 2009 levels. Not mm-hmm. the major one, but the juniors. Okay, all mm-hmm. the exploration companies. Uh, some are below cash. You know, that's you. You haven't seen that since 2008. Uh, so and then they are pricing maybe forty dollar, maybe thirty, forty dollar oil already, which is where oil was was low in two thousand eight. Okay, they pricing in that, but oil is a hundred dollar, mm-hmm. huge gap. Okay, that's a huge gap. Oil, and then the nice thing about energy company, they, uh, you know, they can immediately turn oil into cash flow. So they can use the cash flow to drill. They can do other things. So. So that's why I feel uh, right now it's a unique opportunity for for energy company, especially those oil and you know, company, you know, like oil, life sweet oil, those that can quickly sell and then turn into cash. Uh, so All right. Well, I know that one of your favorite stocks is Mart Resources. Um, do I have that right? Yeah, that's my largest position, personal largest position, and it has been doing quite well uh, in December. Of last year, so so far I'm you know still holding my positions and uh, enjoying you know they quite some gains. It's uh, doubled in the, in the past month. So yeah, I know I know that Mart has risen dramatically. It is one of my own personal largest holdings as well. There is some trepidation on the part of some people uh, because of political risks, and I know that one of my subscribers wrote to me last week and suggested that he was going to sell out of Mart now because uh, he read somewhere that there was some unrest, uh, some Islamic unrest uh, somewhere in the country. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, there are unrest. You know, there are unrest everywhere. You know, in Iraq, there's unrest. You know, you know worst case, in Egypt now, right now, there's unrest. Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, the unique thing about the Nigeria is that the unrest is in Muslim area, which is not the, the, the oil-producing area. Mm-hmm. Oil-producing is in the south, basically about 200, 300 miles away from those unrest areas. Uh-huh. So here in the South, Christian, you know, dominated area, they, mm-hmm. and they are pretty close to the shore, so it, it's not a very long pipeline. So yeah. that that makes them unique, you know. And uh, I think I think this is a, you can worry about everything, you know. But you know, that that's the thing, that's the risk I, I'm taking, you know. Yeah. So I don't think they will. Mart will enjoy as high as PE as other Canadian-based company, but you know, it gave us some discount, Nigeria discount. That's pretty much. Nigeria right now is in better situation than company like Yemen, a country like Yemen, right? It's a lot of better than probably better than Iraq. Mm-hmm. So you know, this all relative. All these things are relative. Yeah, indeed. And of course, the price of of the shares are, uh, you know, that that risk is priced in uh, as well. But I believe there is a pretty strong indication. I'm not sure if the company has actually come out and said it formally yet or not. But I know in talking to the president in New York some time ago that they are likely to start paying some dividends. Any any news on that as far as you know? Yeah, the, the, the Mark just was uh, listed as a top pick on BNN by Sprout Asset Management. Mm-hmm. Right? The, the Sprout guy came to BNN and said they will pay a dividend, one-time dividend early this year uh, for the uh, special dividend because they have so much cash. And then later this year, they will pay regular dividend. Oh, did they say how much they were going to pay? They didn't say how much. We were just, that all these numbers, we were just talking, you know, 10 cents a year, they can pay easily. 20 cents, 20 cents per year, they can mm-hmm. pay easily. 
I mean, this is a 90-cent stock. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yes, <laughs> indeed, and I, I can tell you, uh, yes, that, that I've heard rumors along those lines as well. Uh, we have just a couple of minutes, well, not even a couple of minutes. We have less than one minute left. Do you, what is your favorite gold stock as we go into 2012? Yeah, I'm stick with Oceana. It's a producer, don't need to raise any money, can continue to grow their you know, productions. But there's many others. Uh, there's quite a few stocks I, I'm trying to research, try to focus uh, in the first uh, first half of the year, see you know there could be some uh, very good you know pick you know very good stocks coming. Uh, hope I hope to get some you know later later this year. And probably the, the, my plan is to load up in the summer because usually the summer is a very weak season for gold. For gold. Well, well, Chen, I certainly do appreciate your contribution to this show and also to my newsletter and as a partner. Uh, as a partner of yours, uh, you being a partner of mine, I really appreciate. I can tell you this, and I'll tell our listeners this, that I just went over the results of my own private investing. I have two uh, IRA accounts, and one of them I call my account, and the other is the Chen account. And the Chen account, uh, which is just only things that Chen really likes a lot and things that I also share in my like that Chen likes, that particular account went up very dramatically last year. The one that was just the J account went down, kind of like the market did last year. So I think um, you know you you have been uh, really good to me and to the people that listen to this show. Chen, I want to thank you so much for your thoughts and your ideas. And well, we'll look forward to talking to you next week again, folks. That's all the time we have for this segment. But don't go away. I'm going to be right back uh, with Ron Perry. He's the treasurer. I'm a very interesting company, Metanor Resources. They've been on this show before. They've had their difficulties. It looks to me like Metanor is getting its act together uh, at 30 cents a share. It may be well worth hanging around, so don't go away and listen to what Ron Perry has to say after we come back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Merix Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merix and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $17 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merix's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project, located in Arizona, is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold-producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American. AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. Attention gold stock investors, Brazil Resources, Inc., trading as BRIZF on the OTCQX and as BRI on the TSX Venture, is exploring three gold projects in the Garupi Gold Belt in Brazil. Surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits, BRI features top Brazilian geologists, earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold directly in Brazil, led by recognized mining and financing executive Amir Adnani, co-founder and chairman. Look us up now at www.brazilresources.com. That's Brazil Resources. 
www.ChristianAssurance.com or call us at 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. Africa is known for its world-class gold deposits. Both Namibia and Tanzania are mining-friendly countries, and Helio has been exploring for gold here for the last six years. Backed by an experienced board and committed institutional shareholders, Helio is drilling its SMP Gold Project in Tanzania to demonstrate the potential for a multi-million ounce resource. Helio is also in the process of outlining the resource potential at its DGP project in Namibia, which is situated next to Anglo Gold Ashanti's Navatsjab Gold Mine. For updates, check out helioresource.com. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold and silver exploration. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm really pleased to have with me, once again, Ron Perry. He's the treasurer, and he's also a director of Metanor Resources. And for the sake of full disclosure, I should tell you that Metanor is a sponsor to this show, and it is also a recommendation in my newsletter. Metanor trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol MTO. You can buy it down here in the United States, as I have done in the past, under the symbol of M-E-A-O-F. That's M-E-A-O-F. Uh, approximately 222 million shares outstanding at 31 cents gives it a market cap of well, considerably under 70 million dollars. Welcome, Ron. Thanks to be here, Jay. First of all, happy New Year to you and your family, and also to the listeners. Well, also to you and yours as well, uh, Ron. Uh, last week, uh, I interviewed the CEO of one of my favorite gold mining companies, and that's Sandstorm Gold. Sandstorm recently uh, sank some capital into your Bachelor Lake property. Talk to our listeners about the funding provided by Met, by uh, to Metanor from Sandstorm, and then tell our listeners about the Bachelor Lake mining project. How much, you know, what sort of production can we expect at what cost, etc.? Oh, certainly, Jay. Uh, first of all, we're very pleased with uh, Nolan Watson and his crew at Sandstorm. They did provide us. At the beginning of last year, $20 million. Basically, they injected $20 million into Metanor. It's not equity. It's, it's not a debt. It's an advance payment on gold. So basically, uh, Sandstorm has the right from now on to purchase uh, 20% of our production at $500 US. And we get to keep the $20 million. We never repay it. Uh, so they provided the capital, so it ended up uh, providing less dilution to our shareholders to get Bachelor Lake 
online. Uh, what it does for us is, ex- exactly I said, uh, no dilution, uh, and we have a strong financial partner there in the background as uh, Sandstorm, and they did a, quite a good due diligence on us uh, using Stantec, and then we use Stantec to do the pre-feasibility study, which shows the economics of uh, Bachelor Lake, and that's obviously why uh, Sandstorm uh, did invest in us, even though we do have a small mine life, but we have very big potential at depth. Stantec uh, gave us a cash cost of $464 per ounce, so selling it to Sandstorm at 500 covers our costs. And the rest, uh, the other, assuming uh, the 60,000 ounces that we're projecting, which Stantec also projected in our in our pre-fees, uh, well, 12,000 ounces would go to uh, to Sandstorm, and the remaining 48,000 ounces at $1,600 gold that we're looking at today's price uh, leaves us with substantial uh, profits, substantial cash flows, uh, probably $40 million of uh, profit. Uh, first year, we have a large loss carry forward, so we're in very good shape uh, going into uh, this year. Uh, we'll start production in Q3, uh, you know, ramping up to that 5,000 ounces. Uh, All right, well, the listeners, certainly uh, anybody who knows how to do a little simple arithmetic can, uh, can come up with some of those numbers, and assuming different gold prices, assuming the costs are at that 464 level, you can sort of less, more or less figure out how much cash flow relative to that 31 cent gold, uh, price that your shares are selling at now. This is, of course, uh, you know, I mean, some people have said that it's sort of a joke where your shares are selling at, and I, I responded by saying, yeah, but it's sort of a good joke if you don't own the shares yet, if you really believe the story, if you really believe that you're going to be able to produce 60,000 ounces to start with at Bachelor Lake, and you realize that that does have a considerable uh, mine life, even though the amount of, you know, this is sort of typical, isn't it, Ron, of underground mines. It isn't the kind of, you know, normally you don't, Prove up long mine life. So you're you're going to continue to uh, continue to mine, and these these mines in your part of the world, there up in Quebec, tend to go to great depths, don't they? Oh yeah, there, there's actually mines at uh, ten thousand feet. We're only down at twenty four hundred feet, and we have a deep hole intercept at thirty five hundred feet. You're absolutely correct. But you know, if you look at the, some of the old mines on the Cadillac Break, they started in production. They had uh, three year mine lives, and uh, twenty years later, they're still mining from them. It's just yeah. a question of you know the the, the structures don't, don't stop suddenly. Uh, historically, that's not been the case. So we're very confident, and I think Sandstorm also rests with that confidence. And we've we've hit some other structures. We've been drilling at Ufren, and it looks very promising there. And we used the uh, diagnosis uh, cards technology, and we found another uh, structure just off the main road, which we would never have gone to. So at Bachelor Lake and Ufren, there's a lot of upside on the blue sky, and uh, we're going to be, uh, you know, we're going into production, and we keep on drilling at the same time. Ron, when do you expect uh, to go into production at Bachelor Lake? What is the sort of target date that you have in mind? Well, basically, uh, Q1, we'll, we're bringing ore to the surface. Uh, then we'll pass the bulk sample, update the pre-feasibility to a feasibility, uh, do a new 43101. Uh, then in Q, during Q2, uh, continue stockpiling and start to pr- ramp up production. And during Q3, our intent is to uh, go into commercial production and then rant, during that Q3, get the 5,000 ounces per month there, hence the 60,000 ounces annual production. All right. Now, for the sake of the listeners, the Bachelor Lake is just one property that you have. Uh, I think there's some other, uh, maybe an extension to Bachelor Lake that has a different name to it that is also yes. subject to the Sandstorm Agreement. Oh, correct. 
Ufren is adjacent, directly adjacent. It was once uh, uh, Tech owned it, and before that, Or Resources, who sold it to Tech, and we bought it off Tech Cominco. Uh, Ufren is uh, right, but it's but against uh, Bachelor Lake, and it's accessible through level six and level eight. And that's how the old people used to, the old owners used to go explore. They actually went down the Bachelor Lake mine shaft and went down level six. And there was actually a steel door. So, for all intents and purposes, it's all one mine, and it is subject to uh, to sandstorms uh, agreement too. But it has very good potential. In fact, we do have two drills going, uh, not just one. Uh, because we've been hitting at surface, uh, we continued the drill, but we did have intentions of going underground. So we pr- we've uh, got another drill on site, and it's underground at Bachelor Lake. So we've got two drill going at, at the Bachelor Lake Ufren property. Is there any? Are there any resources from Ufren? Yes, there are. There's uh, almost 100,000 ounces, um, which was all, some of it was included in the calculation. When we say Bachelor Lake has uh, 310,000 ounces, we're also including the, uh, a little bit of the Ufren portion there, too. So okay, there, good. There's, there's good exploration potential on both properties. Yes, and I understand that's true. Uh, there, there is another very exciting property. In fact, it, uh, when I first, uh, well, a year, a couple of years ago, anyway, that, that really had the market quite excited, and that's the Berry property. That's an open pit property, and the kind of target you can really probably prove up ounces much more quickly than you can an underground property, and that is not subject to the Sandstorm Agreement. Talk to our listeners a little bit about the Berry uh, the Berry prop property, and you know how many ounces are there now, and what is the potential going forward? Oh, certainly, uh, Jay, uh, with pleasure. The Barry property started out as a temporary asset where we purchased it. It had about 40,000 ounces of measured indicated, uh, and we put it into production to give us uh, cash flow, learning experience. During that time, uh, the grade was around 3-4 grams when we started. That's what we purchased. But over time, as we mined it, the grade went down. So to compensate, we did. Uh, we went from 450 short tons to 700 metric to 800 metric, and finally our mill capacity is at 1,200 metric, so uh, metric tons per day. So we've we tried to compensate, but the grade did. Uh, when we pulled out the 43101 on it, the good news was. Uh, almost 800,000 ounces, all categories, at an average grade of about 1.3, 1.4 grams per ton. Uh, but that's the bad news is that the grade went down. So we, uh, because of the price of gold at the time and the cost of transportation, we stopped mining the gold and pouring the ounces. So we, we have poured 43,000 ounces uh, from the Barry property. So we have experience. We know how to produce. We had the recoveries up to 95%, so we're not worried bringing Bachelor Lake on, on side. But the Bachelor, the Barry property has huge potential. It's, uh, it, it is definitely an elephant. And, uh, there's a, you know, there's 150 anomalies. Uh, there's well over 13 kilometers of strike. And our neighbors, uh, to the northeast, we have Eagle Hill, who just came out with a resource uh, estimate of about 700,000 ounces. Bonterra's been hitting, uh, uh, Bowfield and Amsico joint venture. They, they, they are doing some more exploration. So there's a lot of exploration in the area. And basically, Andre Tremblay, uh, about two years ago, I think Jay is even to your face. He, he, he feels the Barry Urban Township is going to become a new mining camp. So we have to do some work. Our neighbors still have to do a lot of work, but I think, uh, it's going to be a very interesting time in 2012. Once we have some cash flow, uh, we definitely are looking at ways to finance Barry because, you know, we cannot, uh, you know, we have the money from Sandstorm. It's to go for Bachelor and Ufren. Yes. 
uh, not necessarily for Barry. Yeah. But we are looking at ways to get Barry back online because punching holes on that property is just going to reap a lot of benefits, well, especially well, when you have a 150 anomalies. Well, that's that's right, Ron. Uh, and and as I said, as I suggested, punching holes on a surface deposit, you can prove up ounces very quickly and thereby. Uh, increase the value of, of Metanor. There was just, uh, we just have a couple of, about 30 seconds left here. I, I have to ask you, um, there was also some notion, uh, since, uh, you do have to, you do have to haul the ore a good ways from the Berry deposit to the Bachelor Lake Mill. Uh, there was some, some talk in the past about putting a concentration plant together at the Berry deposit and then shipping a concentrate down to your mill at Bachelor Lake. And given the fact that you're only, uh, you know, I think you're using 800 or planning to use 800 of the 1,200 ton capacity there, it would seem like you could really, the company as a whole, could really ramp up fairly significantly doing that. Is that still something that management is considering? Oh, for sure. In the long term, obviously a concentrator is not uh, uh, a 99 cents item to purchase, so we definitely don't want to do dilution. But punching holes, getting the uh, getting the reserve up, then you can go bankable feasible. And there's no question that Methanor can be a 150,000 ounce producer quite quickly. But just quick for the for the listeners, we are doing internal studies right now, and we're looking at Barry maybe to bring it back online with 1,600 dollar gold. Uh, there may be some money on the table. It won't be as profitable as Bachelor, but I have that excess capacity, and I yeah. might as well make some money with yeah. it. So we Good are point. just studying the economics of getting a couple of trucks, uh, loader, dynamite, and uh, opening up the camp, and we're back into production because Good twelve hundred, uh, you know, eleven hundred dollars and and sixteen hundred dollar gold now is a lot, lot, uh, a lot different. Okay, Ron. Different. Well, I'd love to have you keep talking, but we do have to go to break now. No We're problem. out of time for this segment. Thank you. It's very, very good. Very good to listen to your story. Your website is what? Uh, www.metanor.ca. Metanor.ca. That's M-E-T-A-N-O-R.ca. Thanks, Ron. Very good Thanks. to have you. We'll Thank you very much, and happy new year again. Soon. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with our main guest today, Dr. Michael Berry. He's going to talk about discovery investing. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Merrick's Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merrick's and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $17 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merrick's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold Deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project, located in Arizona, is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold-producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. 
Attention gold stock investors, Brazil Resources, Inc., trading as BRIZF on the OTCQX and as BRI on the TSX Venture, is exploring three gold projects in the Garupi Gold Belt in Brazil. Surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits, BRI features top Brazilian geologists, earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold directly in Brazil, led by recognized mining and financing executive Amir Adnani, co-founder and chairman. Look us up now at www.brazilresources.com. That's Brazil Resources. Or call us at 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. Africa is known for its world-class gold deposits. Both Namibia and Tanzania are mining-friendly countries, and Helio has been exploring for gold here for the last six years. Backed by an experienced board and committed institutional shareholders, Helio is drilling its SMP Gold Project in Tanzania to demonstrate the potential for a multi-million ounce resource. Helio is also in the process of outlining the resource potential at its DGP project in Namibia, which is situated next to Anglo Gold Ashanti's Navatsjab Gold Mine. For updates, check out helioresource.com. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold and silver exploration. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Back to turning hard times into good times. I'm your host Jay Taylor. Our main guest for this uh, for this show, first show of 2012, is Dr. Michael Berry. 
I've known Michael for quite a few years now. He and I have appeared on many panels together, panel discussions and various investment conferences in the United States and Canada. Dr. Barry is a pioneer in the emerging field of discovery investing. He researches and writes on companies that focus on discovery in natural resources, high-tech, and biotech. From 1982 to 1990, Dr. Barry served as a professor of investments at the Colgate-Darden uh, Graduate School of Business Administration um, uh, at the University of Virginia, during which time he published a book uh, titled Managing Investments, a Case Approach. Previously, he successfully managed small and mid-cap value funds for Heartland Advisors and Kemper Scudder. While at the Darden School, University of Virginia, he was a professor of investments and has held the, uh, the Wheat First Endowed Chair at James Madison University. His research uh, in the study of behavioral strategies for investing has been published in numerous academic and practitioner journals. Michael publishes Morning Notes. Um, it's titled Morning Notes by Michael A. Berry, Ph.D. The notes discuss geopolitics, uh, economic trends, and their effects on capital markets, which, by the way, you can sign up for uh, this excellent publication, and we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, before we let Michael go uh, during the second hour of today's show. Um, so welcome, Dr. Barry. Really good to have you finally on, on this show. Jay, it's great to be here. Great to be with you. Uh, it is really good. Uh, you're talking to us, I believe, from Virginia today. Actually, I'm, I'm back in New Jersey today. <laughs> oh, you're back we in New Jersey. We were in Virginia, though. Okay. Well, you're, you're living in Virginia part of the time in, in New Jersey, I guess. Yes. Okay. Um, well, tell us about Discovery Investing. What is it, and how was it devised? Well, I was a, I was a fund manager uh, after um, after being a professor, as you mentioned, for several years, for, for many years, actually. Um, I was lured away to Wall Street, and I began to realize that most of the theory we were teaching, we can talk about this later, probably didn't have any application at all to how fund managers actually select uh, and purchase and sell stocks. And um, I got really interested in microcaps, and I, I worked for a, um, a, a brilliant guy named Bill Naskovitz at Heartland Advisors, and probably the probably the top microcap guy in the country, maybe even the world. It, he manages billions of dollars in microcaps, and microcaps are sort of different from almost everything else because, you know, they don't often they don't have uh, cash flows or revenues or anything. No PE multiples, no price to book ratios that are good. And so um, I really learned how to how to seek out good companies. And of course, in the microcap sector, Jay, uh, you know, there's a lot of risk. I mean, there's no doubt about it; they are the riskiest. But I began to realize that almost all, you know, great discoveries, great wealth creation opportunities come from discovery, um, discovery of ore bodies, discovery of cancer cures, discovery of new um, intellectual property that Apple might. Uh, put together, we've seen really an increasing spate of this. So I decided around uh, 2000, around the turn of the millennium, that we really needed another way to look at these companies, and we needed to look at it through the lens of discovery. Hmm. And so I built a 10-point grid that focused entirely on the factors that I thought made uh, sense if you were looking for discoveries. 
Yeah, well, indeed, microcaps are are risky, but also, uh, I guess you could say that if there is such a thing as an efficient market, and that's an academic topic, I suppose, for another day. But to the extent that markets are more or less efficient, certainly the microcap companies that get very little coverage, very little attention from brokerage houses, from analysts, are probably the most inefficient markets. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, w- I would say so. Um... Which, you know, which there's, then there's means that there's an no opportunity if you can pin down. Investment banks can't really, um, you know, get into this marketplace, so they don't they don't cover the stocks very well, and consequently, you have to do your own you have to do your own work. And um, so, I think the the idea behind the system I built called the Discovery Investing was maybe to provide a framework for um, you know individuals, just ordinary individuals to allow them to make better decisions in yeah. in the space. Yeah, because the good news here, they are inefficient markets, but that means opportunity because if you can find something that the market hasn't caught on to yet, then that's the point I was trying to make, that discovery investing, uh, in theory at least, and let's see if we can understand how it works a little better, should allow people that are able to use this tool a way to sort of narrow down the universe because there's literally, I mean, even in the field that you and I are both involved in, primarily in the uh, resource sector, there are thousands of little junior mining companies and exploration companies out there, and it is just an unbelievably difficult, impossible task to try to pick the best ones. So I'm really, really uh, all ears here, Dr. Barry, to try to understand myself for my own use, for the use of my subscribers and for our listeners Talk to us about it. How does it work? You say it's a mathematical model in part. I know it has, you just mentioned, it has 10 different variables. So um, where do we start? How, how well, do we start? What does the investor have to do? Uh, I, think, to I think normally you start by, you know, learning, learning the factors that matter. And in terms of discovery investing, the first thing I look at is how good is the management team? Do they have a track record? Is it a good board of directors? How have they issued shares? You know, there are, actually, I won't go through the whole list, Jay, because we don't have time, but yeah. there are a number of different issues. So, you know, a, a good management team can make a, an average project pay off, and a bad management team can really uh, make a great world-class project fail. So the first, the first issue is to look at management in some detail. Who's the CEO? Who's the CFO? Who's on the board? And go through that process of track records and um, and value creation in their history. Then, the second issue that I will look at is uh, what is the project? Is, does it have world class potential? Now, obviously, not every project has world class potential, but you start out with the hypothesis that this might have world class potential. Let me see to what degree I think it's a world class. Is it a very high grade, very high tonnage, and a good locale? With good infrastructure, those are some of the questions you'd ask. And then you sort of go from there. There are actually eight other factors. So it's a 10-factor model. How well diversified is it? Um, how sustainable is the company in terms of its financing? And we go through these 10 factors, and we rank the company on each of the factors. And uh, before I put this on the computer, I just did it sort of intuitively. And over time, I'd learn more and more about each company, and I'd keep the same factors together, and I'd update my knowledge. And so I, I became pretty good at, you know, um, ascertaining which companies had a good chance, which company didn't. And also, over time, Jay, sometimes 
things happen that uh, are good, and sometimes catalysts occur. Uh, the drill holes don't don't work out, and they're bad, and so you rank the company down. Mm-hmm. So I produced a scalar ranking from one to five thousand of, of all these companies. I didn't do all five thousand companies, but. Mm-hmm. Um, by putting it on the computer and by making it oriented to the crowd, if we can, you know, we can get um, a thousand or two thousand people doing the same sort of analysis, then we will cover a great, a, a very large database of companies. Oh, and I the understand. crowd score so. will be a score that all of the individuals that score a given company come together in one single score. I see. So. So the so the model should get better if it gets more popular. That is, there'll be more people that provide input to it. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's that's yes, that's absolutely right. And the and the the bottom line is the crowd score might might have five or six people scoring uh, Revet Minerals, for example, initially, and then after six months or a year, there might be twenty or thirty people scoring the company. So right. you, you know, pretty soon you, your scores begin to make sense. They become relevant. And um, and over time, you you really start to focus in on the companies. And the other issue, Jay, is that there's really three categories. There are incubator companies, and these are the riskiest early on companies that haven't made discoveries yet, but you have hope. Then there are the mature companies that maybe uh, have a 43101. They have a resource. They have, they you know they have X number of ounces of gold. And then there are the legacy companies, and those are the those are the uh, Heclas and the Cordelaines and the um, uh, Gold Corps of the world that actually all came from original discoveries at some point in time in their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so if you start out with five or six, and you start—I mean, the theory is that the more people that are scoring uh, the management, let's say, or these—it wouldn't be just management; it'd be all very all the ten variables, right? Yes, all the ten variables. Correct. All the ten variables, uh, and maybe a, you could mention a couple of more of the variables. But, but the so the the theory is that the more people that are scoring it, the better the information should be. Yeah, I think so. And and not only the more, more that that there are more people scoring it, and we're already getting uh, an awful lot of interest in it. Uh, but over time, you you iterate on the company. So from a time perspective, you know people learn more and more about each company, become more and more confident, either happy with the management or unhappy with the management, either scoring them up or scoring them down. You know, in terms of their confidence and happy with the the uh, the ore body or or maybe the drill results don't work out and they score that down give it a lower score and the key thing is that this is all done in a vocabulary of English um, phrases mm-hmm. and we translate that using a mathematical technique into a scalar number ultimately that that is the ranking of the company relative to all other companies I see so if you you have a management. You have a choice of maybe five or six uh, different different variables from from very good to very bad or something like that. Yes, and exactly. then the same and and those words then would be would have some mathematical value uh, assigned to them. Absolutely, um, um, I, I don't usually mention it, but there is a mathematical theory called fuzzy logic, which I can't explain to you uh, or can't explain to anybody. But the mathematicians that I'm working with have developed. Um, distributions for all these phrases. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, um, they can combine these things together and, and, and get a number out of it that gives a ranking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so, we had something called fuzzy, 
fuzzy fuzzy math or something like that that George Bush talked about. But uh, yeah, and that and that didn't work. Well, too that well. that was that was fuzzy math. <laughs> I think we could probably explain that to each other. But this is a this is an academic discipline. It actually comes out of the um, electrical engineering discipline and. Uh, a, a very dear friend of mine named Ter- Dr. Terry Rickard pursued me for about four years and said, you've got to put this on the computer, and I kept putting him off, and finally he was persistent, and I decided that we do it. And actually, in less than a year, we've implemented the entire system in its, in its first uh, evolution. So, so we're ready to go, and we hope to introduce the system on the Internet um, the end of this month in Vancouver. Hmm. Yeah, I think you're going to be at the uh, Cambridge House show, and for our listeners, uh, you might want to check this out at the Cambridge House. Uh, go to check out the uh, Cambridge House show in January. Uh, the exact dates, uh, I don't remember exactly when they are. I know I will, I will be attending them. Uh, actually, it's on the 22nd, I believe, the 22nd of January. Yeah, I think 22nd and 23rd. And 23rd days, of January. Um, and, Sunday uh, and Monday, I believe those are the days. There's going to be some great things going on there. I know you alerted me, actually, uh, to a debate that's going to go on. I want to ask you later in the discussion, perhaps in the next hour, about some of uh, you know some of the global risks in in the economic sure. system. And I want to talk to you about China, but I know there's going to be a wonderful debate up there uh, by uh, by a Chinese fellow, I think uh, Gordon Chang yep. uh, is going to take a bearish position on China with uh, Frank Holmes. You mentioned uh, is going to take a bullish position, supposedly a debate or discussion yes. or two sides of that. So that should be uh, very very interesting. A lot of reasons to go, not the least of which will be the un, uh, the uncovering of the discovery method. Uh, you, you mentioned um, you mentioned management. There are a whole lot of other. Variables, investor sentiment is one I see as I look at this at the schematic here. Yes. Uh, company diversification. Could you talk about those, perhaps? Yeah. Well, uh, basically, um, there. So I came out of. I, I learned contrarian investing, and so many times when you look at these little companies, they get really beaten up. In fact, we're in a market now where probably the majority of companies, Jay, that you and I follow. Um, are, have been beaten up by the market. They're very oh, cheap. Absolutely. And so one of the factors that we looked at is the degree of contrarianness, if you will. How much, how undervalued is this thing, and should it be? And so we spend a lot of time, and that becomes an important factor in a time frame like this where a lot of these companies um, have, have lost 50% of their value. I mean, it's really been, mm-hmm. been unnerving, to say the least. But there are some great buys out there. So one of the factors is the contrary, the degree of contrarian nature of a company. How undervalued is it? And by the same token, in different markets, how overvalued is it? And so we would rank it accordingly. If it's very overvalued, we, we want to, uh, you know, lessen the score for it. Mm-hmm. And if it's undervalued, we're, we're interested, we might be interested in buying it if the other factors work mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. We look for companies that have diversification. Uh, in projects, but diversification can be a two-edged sword. Sure. Uh, some some of these little companies take on so many projects, uh, thinking that it's going to be positive, and it ends up they end up losing focus, can't finance them, and so you know, so untoward things can happen there. Um, sentiment is extremely important. I think it's my factor ten is about investor sentiment because so, in discovery you can wait years before things happen. They don't always happen immediately. And sometimes people get tired and they sell at the wrong time. And so there's this idea that 
you really want to check out your own sentiment about a company. Have, are you being rational about it, or are you angry? And mm-hmm. Are you upset, and are you are you likely to throw the towel in just at a time when you shouldn't? Mm-hmm. Um, we look at um, red flag items, like uh, one of the factors is um, degree of, of um, interfacing with stakeholders. Mm-hmm. If you call a company, can you get somebody? Mm-hmm. Um, do they do you know quarterly conference calls, or how frequently do they communicate? Um, what are their relationships with uh, with local people and with their customers? And um, so that's another factor that we think is in, is is extremely important uh, from the viewpoint of keeping investors interested in the company. Yeah. Um, we look at control. So often, uh, another factor is control. How how much dilution is there going to be <laughs> in the stock? Um, you know, how how often are they going to have to issue shares, and right. will they end up only owning forty percent of it rather than fifty one or sixty one or a hundred percent of the project? So, you know, there's quite a wide range of factors that cover, I think, a great deal of the of the important issues that um, that you you'd have to deal with mm-hmm. in a forward looking way, looking forward. And I came upon this because, as a former academic, you know, we always use historical data. Right. And first of all, there's not a lot of historical data for some of these companies. And secondly, historical data has almost nothing to do, in my opinion, anyways, with what goes on, what what will go on in the future for many mm-hmm. of these companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially their cutting edge, new technology companies or companies that. Um, that are that are discovering that are really using science to discover things that that holds true in the biotech area that you're involved in uh, in, in as much uh, and it also holds true in the uh, in the geoscience area that you are also involved in. Uh, I, I notice you also uh, look at cycles. I mean, I'm thinking cycles in the uh, in the mining business for sure. Yes, uh, we I think we're in a bull market of a lifetime for gold and possibly for some of the other. Some of the other commodities, although I'm more firm on gold, we do have these cycles, and it would have been, you know, nigh impossible to make money investing in gold shares from about 1980 until until the early 2000s. Uh, so, what about cycles? How do, what cycles are you talking about here? That's another variable I see on your. Yeah, your there's actually combines with um, catalysts and cycles. So, in terms of in terms of catalysts, you know, in in the area of mining, for example. You know, when the drill is turning, you, you have natural catalysts that occur. The discovery itself is a catalyst. So you, you can pretty much determine, you know, when results are going to come. You don't always know what the results are going to be. So you have natural catalysts that occur. In, in biotech, you have uh, clinical trial results. So you can pretty much determine when those things are going to happen. On the cycle side, uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, um, for the last 11 years, gold has been in a bull market cycle, and it's been very clear to me and and others, I guess not everyone, that this is not a bubble. And and so, um, you, if you have confidence that you're in a major cycle uh, for gold and silver, um, you you want to score that factor very high if the company has potential in the gold in the gold arena in the gold discovery arena. And I think also now. You know, we're headed into uncertain times because of what's happening around the world, especially in Europe, but also in China. And so the question now is going to be for industrial minerals, uh, what is that cycle going to look like? Is that cycle going to continue? 
to push higher uh, for copper, for example? We'll just take one example. Or is that cycle going to turn down? And so those are the kinds of forward-looking uh, ideas that you have to deal with in that particular factor. Mm-hmm. Well, those are some some uh, some of the topics I hope to talk to you about in the next hour after we take a break. In a couple of minutes from now, we're going to have to go to a commercial break. But also, uh, as I, you're talking about these various variables, and, and as the share prices move up, maybe it becomes less advantageous. You want to take some money off the table, sell out, and look for some other opportunity, some undervalued uh, asset according to your model here. But my question is this, and thinking in, in practical terms for the investor, is this going to be an ongoing, I guess there's ongoing data input that needs to be put into this into this model? Yes, it so is. Gonna... Actually, um, be, you know, one of the great innovations in the whole world is the Internet. And if we didn't have the Internet, this model would be so much less powerful. Mm-hmm. But now it's, we have it on a server. It's up and running now in beta test, and we're, you know, uh, allowing selective use of it. Mm-hmm. So we, we, would, we would expect to have um, perhaps within a year or two several thousand users of this. Mm-hmm. And the ongoing uh, information input will be just that. So... Mm-hmm. What you're going to look for is um, increases in ranking and decreases in ranking. You know, there are trading strategies, I think, that will naturally flow out of this of this system. Mm-hmm. Um, if a company moves from being ranked um, in the in the bottom decile to the top decile, then you know you're going to you're going to want to own that, and you're probably going to be able to own it before the price moves. So. Um, those are the things that we're looking for. And we think the crowd, having a crowd score is a very, very powerful part of the whole product. And it's a result of the fact that we've got the Internet and, um, and so we've got access to virtually unlimited um, number of users. Sure. I'm wondering, though, we only have about a minute before we go to break here, but I'm wondering with respect to the crowd score if there might not be a lot of lazy participants. I mean, I'm thinking, I guess I'm, I'm probably speaking for myself, uh, Dr. Barry. I, uh, I would like to have uh, an easy ride. I'd like to work nine to five, get out of here and go play. I don't play golf. I'd probably <laughs> like to go watch a movie or something rather than work long hours. So what is the danger? What is the risk here of people sitting back and saying, I'll just let other people do the work, and I'll say whatever the crowd has to say. I'll accept their answer. Yeah, and, you know, um, that that is probably a facility of the system. If you go through to rank these ten factors that we just discussed, and you say, gee, I don't, I don't have any idea on whether there are catalysts or cycles. I don't know that. I'll take the crowd score. So yeah. you can take the crowd score, and that provides that. And I think my experience, Jay, has been that um, – the people that get really involved with this, whether they're analysts on Wall Street or whether they're whether it's mom and pop, and they're really really interested in these companies. I think there are a lot of them. I think they pay a lot of attention to their stocks, and I think they'll be in here updating their portfolios pretty frequently. Oh, very good, very good. Well, we're going to come back. I've got another a question or two to ask you about the uh, about your model, and then I want to get on to some macroeconomic issues. So uh, don't go away, folks. I'm going to be right back with Dr. Barry right after the break. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. 
Merex Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merex and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $17 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merex's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project, located in Arizona, is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold-producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American bonanza.com for more exciting information don't miss this great opportunity Attention gold stock investors, Brazil Resources Inc., trading as BRIZF on the OTCQX and as BRI on the TSX Venture, is exploring three gold projects in the Garupi Gold Belt in Brazil. Surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits, BRI features top Brazilian geologists, earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold directly in Brazil, led by recognized mining and financing executive Amir Adnani, co-founder and chairman. Look us up now at www.brazilresources.com. That's Brazil Resources. Or call us at 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. Africa is known for its world-class gold deposits. Both Namibia and Tanzania are mining-friendly countries, and Helio has been exploring for gold here for the last six years. Backed by an experienced board and committed institutional shareholders, Helio is drilling its SMP Gold Project in Tanzania to demonstrate the potential for a multi-million ounce resource. Helio is also in the process of outlining the resource potential at its DGP project in Namibia, which is situated next to Anglo Gold Ashanti's Navatsjab Gold Mine. For updates, check out helioresource.com. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold and silver exploration. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. 
Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters the business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network 